Hope Church, not nah, wrong. Second word in, and I'm already, that's a raffa coffee still messing my head up. Good evening, Hope Church. There we go. How good is it to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. All coming to remember and relate to God on the basis of Jesus' own finished work. You didn't come in here tonight to hear some more instructions of how to be made right with God by your own doing. You haven't come in to be reminded how pathetic and useless and worthless you are. And if you just keep on trying a little bit harder, God will put up with you. And if you give a little bit more, then we'll, we'll, we'll be okay. No, we have come to rejoice in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, who rose for us, who reigns victoriously and will guard us on to the last day. Amen? Amen. Of course, if you're not a Christian, that's the invitation. That's the, that's the compelling command of the Lord Jesus Christ to you today. It's not be better, do better, do more, be more, but believe on his own finished work that he accomplished on the cross there where he bled and took your punishment and where he secured for all those who believe absolutely eternal life. And everyone who believes that says, amen, amen. amen. I pray that you come to believe that. Open up to James chapter 3 as we are going through this, this glorious little epistle, the first of the New Testament letters that was written was the book of James, where he wrote to the mostly Jewish church that had been spread abroad after persecution had, had cracked down on them in, in, uh, um, in Jerusalem, and so they find themselves scattered around and now intermingling with, with other people groups and other, other types, even other ethnicities of Christians. And of course, as all of this happens, we've seen the, the push that James has been making that they must, they must, if they claim to have true saving faith, which alone justifies, faith alone in Jesus' finished work justifies you before the, 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 the bar of God. And yet, yet that faith which is true and saving is an active working faith. And we saw last week that he said that the first uh, way that you need to uh, uh, take your life aside and take it out to the woodshed and start talking to yourself is your tongue, our mouth and how we speak. We need to make sure that the, the faith that we claim to have is, is bringing about change in our lived life. It is, of course, the, the most difficult body part to control. You might think of a, of a different one. Maybe it's your fist. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, it's the way you think. But James says it's the tongue. The tongue is always the one that is ratting you out with its filthiness, showing what is inside of your heart. And then today, we we'll find ourselves in verse 13 of chapter 3. James chapter 3 and verse 13. And here he starts addressing the, the concept, the, the, the understanding of wisdom. That every Christian knows if we were to be polled that wisdom is important. And of course, we all know that wisdom is something we should seek after. But James is going to make quite a, quite a stark contrast between two types of wisdom tonight. Just, just as back in chapter 2, he said very clearly, it is possible to have a faith that is not saving faith. It's an incomplete faith. It's a corrupt faith. It's also possible to have wisdom and yet it be the kind of wisdom that comes up from beneath that is a demonic, earthly, unspiritual kind of wisdom. And he's going to contrast that, of course, to true, biblical, godly wisdom. So let's read from verse 13 through to verse 18. It is quite a short section. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and then be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word in our midst this evening. Well, it, he starts out with a sort of question that if you didn't know James to be the, the, the Clint Eastwood, John Wayne kind of cunning, smart, hard-hitting man that he is, he, he, if somebody else maybe lesser, if a, if a bit of a, a, a beta male lecturer or a teacher or a pastor got up and said, oh, just show of hands, who thinks they're wise? Maybe, maybe many of us, and in fact, I want you to think that tonight, if, if you saw a job opening or we just said there's something, that, a, a situation we need dealing with, I need a wise person, I need some people to just meet me after the service, or I need someone who's spiritually wise, who has a considerable amount of spiritual insight and understanding and, and let, let go along with that a good deal of theological knowledge. I wonder how many of us would, maybe we're too, too, too nervous to go up and put our hands up or too shy to race towards it, but at least in our heads, we're thinking that's the reason. Look, I, I am that. I am wise. I'm quite understanding. I've got good discernment. I can always see my own pride from a long way off. I'm tremendous at that. And yet, and yet James wants us to think of ourselves in order to then cut us down, in order to rebuke, in order to hold up the mirror of God's word towards our sin. Who among you is wise? Who is understanding? We see that in the context of last week, as he opened up chapter 3, he started by speaking to the teachers, those, those would-be pastors, those, those desiring the, the office of the elder. And he says, you especially need to take heed of what is about to be said about the use of your tongue. Because if you're an elder, if you carry authority in the people of God, if, you, if you're entrusted with teaching, then your words will carry double the force into people's lives than the normal Christian. And you'll be judged with double the strictness and harshness on the last day. So he said that to the elders, and, and maybe even at this point when he asks this question, he is even keeping in mind those who, who are desiring that role. He's saying, who is wise, understanding, who has some spiritual insight among you? And maybe those, those same men are thinking themselves, of course, I'm more of a leader than a follower, more of a speaker than a listener, more of a babbler than a, than a hearer. That's me. I'm, I'm quite wise. I've read a lot, or, or I, I think of myself pretty highly. Surely that counts for something. He's asking, if you consider yourself quite insightful, spiritual, wise, understanding, step forward and let us examine you. Just as he said in chapter 2, those who claim to have faith, step up and let us check the works of that faith because true faith will work. And so at the moment, he's saying, stand up. If, if you think you have that wisdom, step forward and let us put the shining light and the, and the magnifying glass over you. Let us put you under the microscope and see that which inevitably wisdom will produce, which is works in the, weakness, in the meekness of wisdom. So last half of verse 13, if you think that you have wisdom, if you think you have understanding, I'm not actually just going to ask for a letter to say so. I'm not actually just going to ask, come and tell me later if you think you're wise. Rather, he says, shut your mouth and let your life prove that fact. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Not, not in his good speech. Not if you think you have wise Wisdom, and if you, sorry, if you think you have wisdom, and if you think you have understanding, by his good words, let him show his works. No, 
but in his conduct, in his lifestyle, in his practice. Let's just look over the last six months at the kind of decisions you've made, the kind of practice you've been getting into, the kind of deeds that you've been doing, the kind of people that can put their hand up and and give account to what you've been doing for them. Wisdom will always produce good conduct in the meekness of wisdom, the meekness of wisdom. He closes out verse 13 to say, in other words, not the, not the pomp, not the, not the hubris of empty words, that's not how you prove wisdom, but the meekness of wisdom. In humility, wisdom is fine with the fact that God says good fruit takes time to grow. Or, or in the, the planting of a harvest, it takes time to produce, as is with a good reputation. A good reputation takes a long time to build, is not at all helped by your trying to speak up your own good reputation for being wise or anything else, and it is lost instantaneously with a foolish word, decision, or action. So he's saying the meekness of wisdom allows their lifestyle to speak for themselves. Those who are wise will will be fine to let others simply see the pattern and the outcome of their life. And that is how he starts. Verse 13 is very much an a introductory uh, sort of verse as he, as he begins this exhortation towards wisdom and away from worldly demonic wisdom. Uh, it, 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 he uses a phrase here that is actually pretty, pretty common in the Old Testament to speak of the leaders. Leaders would be known as those who were wise and understanding. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1 and verse 13 through 15, Moses recounts when he uh, when he counted, uh, sorry, when he was looking for help in the leadership of Israel, because he very much just tells the Israelites, I prayed to God and I said, please kill me if I have to keep dealing with them. He's just an open pastor. He's just telling them what he said. I went to the Lord and I asked him to murder me because of you. I could not deal with you. You're quite difficult. Now, let's be easy on him. He had over a million people to deal with and they were, they were very hard of heart and they got themselves killed in the wilderness. So we'll give him a pass on that. Nonetheless, he says, I prayed to God that he would give me help and he said, Find, g- gather the people and tell them to elect people among themselves who are wise and of understanding. This is, this is a, 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 a characteristic or a, a way to summarize those who would be fit to lead those who have understanding, those who are filled with experience, and those who have wisdom. And so it is with the pastor or the the elder or those who would have leadership in any way in the church, as we were told beginning of the chapter, don't rush into this. Your words will get you in trouble if you are not careful. So also, don't rush into this. Your folly, which looks like wisdom in a worldly sense, your folly, which might even get you into the leadership structure of your work job or your, your leadership classes or whatever, your folly to God will get you in trouble, will get the people of God in trouble. For God requires the men of God to be convinced of the imperatives and the importance of the mission. The Great Commission, the glory of Christ and the salvation of souls, the building of the church and the preaching of the word is the primary, in fact, it's the sole task of the elder, of the leadership in the church. And so James requires, he wants to warn those who would rush forward Think highly of themselves. Stop because your ambition may blind you. Do you care for the glory and sovereignty and lordship of Christ first? Is your task, is your lifestyle, are your deeds seeking the salvation of souls and the growing of the church primarily? So wisdom, I'm going to rush. In fact, you can go with me if you want back to Proverbs chapter 1. Of course, the, the, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament We know that the big one, the one that talks all about wisdom, 
is Proverbs. We've said that James reads like an Old Testament book. Sometimes he's fired up like Isaiah, telling them God's going to judge him and destroy him and that they're fat calves ready for slaughter. Sometimes he's fired up like Hosea, calling them a bunch of whores for having adulterous hearts. Sometimes he's, he's fired up like the wisdom literature and simply rattles off principles of biblical literature. And of course, that's what we find in Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 1. And we'll go from verse 1 through to verse 7. The principle of wisdom in Scripture is imperative. It is essential for godliness. Verse 1. Uh, sorry, verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. This is the purpose of the Proverbs. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the, world of the, the words of the wise and their riddles. For the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see those very same themes coming up through James 3, verse 13. Look also at chapter 2 and verse 6. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. Isn't it good that our God is a gracious, giving God? Amen? Amen. It is He who gives wisdom, and He does, in fact, give it. We read that back in James chapter 1. If you're lacking wisdom... Good news, God gives plenty of it to those who ask without partiality. If you're asking and you ask genuinely and perseveringly, he will give it. He knows that you need it. Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of the saint. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Do you see the, the threefold connection there? Knowledge always comes from God out of his mouth. Where, where do we find the words of God? In Scripture, of course, that bread of life that comes from the mouth of God is how we live. The, the wisdom comes from God through the Word. It affects our minds, our understanding. That's why he's going to say learn, get understanding, get insight. And then always it has these applications that the proverb writer is writing that Solomon says. It always has this justice, this righteousness, this equity, this walking in the path of God. It always has a practical effect on your life. Look at chapter 3, verse 13. Blessed is the one, sorry, this is still Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. I know we started our reading in James 3, 13. Very confusing, but we're still in Proverbs. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. James has started out by saying who is wise and who has understanding. He is quoting, referring to, dwelling on, thinking about the Old Testament imperatives for wisdom. Verse 14, for the gain from her. He personifies wisdom as this beautiful woman that you want in your life, men. This, this wonderful wife of yours that you need throughout your life to help and serve and lead and guide you is wisdom. Verse 14, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver. 
and her profit is better than gold. Verse 15, she is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. What a blessing that is for God to be able to say nothing is worth more, nothing you can gain in this life, the CEO position, a beautiful wife without wisdom, many children, much riches, influence and power, nothing that you want right now and graciously God knows you want it, we ought not to want it, but everything you want is less valuable and less able to affect your life in a richly God-blessed way than wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And look at verse 9, verse 10, as we see that same principle reflected again. Of course, we could just go all night through the book of Proverbs, but we need to get back to James. Chapter 9, verse 10 in Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. We again see the ethical nature and the revelational nature of wisdom. By that we mean revelational is what God says and speaks to us, how he reveals himself through his word. That's what we'll call the word, the revelation of God. True wisdom is always revelation-based and it is always ethical because it says not only knowledge of God is wisdom, but also the knowledge, the intimate knowledge he's speaking of, of the Holy One is insight. Wisdom itself, even as we are gaining understanding, is always a practice of holiness. They go hand in hand or they become entirely corrupt. So go back to James chapter 3 as we see him give comparisons of two kinds of wisdom. He's going to speak of the wisdom that comes from above and the wisdom that is from beneath, that is unspiritual and demonic. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts, do not, be, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. One of the, if you look to chapter 4 verse 1, which uh, some commentators take basically as one big section. They'll continue it on in chapter four, not, not what I've done for us tonight. I thought f- these five verses will do us just fine, but, but they take the, 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 the logical flow of where he's going is that those without wisdom bring about strife and contention. And look at chapter four, verse one. Of course, the chaptering and the numbering is not original in the Greek. We know that. But it says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. So he's, he's, he's in the process of building up for rebuking them for their quarreling, their lack of peace. He, he ends in chapter 3, verse 18. He says, And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He will call wisdom shortly the wisdom that is peaceable. So his, his, his prerequisite here, his, his understanding of wisdom is that it always brings about peace. And we have to sort of define or get ourselves onto the right footing with peace because otherwise we we find ourselves in all sorts of trouble. Peace can be, that word can be taken. Of course, that's that's the flag that many people will simply not deal with doctrine over because we need to be peaceful. It's the kind of thing that many people will, will join arms and join forces with the wrong people, people that we as a church or, 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 or churches in general have no, no good uh, uh, business doing business with them because we try and hold out peace at all costs. J.C. Ryle, I love that he said, peace at all costs is not peace at all. Truth 
must not be sacrificed on the altar of peace was his point. True biblical church communal peace, what we're aiming for, what we desire, the, the peace that, and the way we might define peace is when the people of God are unified in mind, they agree, they're in unity, they're getting along, and they have a common mission. That is the mission of Christ, the Great Commission, the sanctification, the building of the church. That's the two things that we need if we're going to have genuine peace. We need unity of mind, thinking, believing, speaking, prioritizing the same things on a lifestyle path that is the Great Commission together. If you remove either one of those things, you don't have true biblical peace that comes forth from scriptural wisdom. So let's just pretend in this, in this mind game, if we were to remove from that definition of peace, the, the unity, the one-mindedness, and the doctrinal agreement. If we said, look, we, we don't really agree, we all believe all sorts of different stuff, and, and, and it, it's dangerous stuff, like this is important stuff we should agree with, but that's okay, let's not, let's not even talk about tertiary and, and fourth level doctrines that we disagree with, let's just all put on a smiley face, don't talk about truth, truth is divisive, let's just all get along, and then let's live on our, on our mission. It's impossible to do, first of all, because our mission, the Great Commission, how we do that is defined itself by truth and will be determined by what we believe. But also, if we don't believe the same things, there will be infighting. There will be disagreement that comes about because of our differences in belief. If the pastors, in other words, are not careful to instill into all of us biblical mindsets, biblical truths, we will fail at our mission, which is then to pass on that truth. Or maybe we can remove it the other way. Maybe we, maybe we have truth and we agree on stuff and we're unity of mind, but the mission that we are trying to serve is not Christ's mission. This can go wrong in two ways. Maybe it's, it's the leader's mission, which is very much averse to Christ's mission. Maybe it's a, it's a matter of fame and a matter of influence and a matter of money or a matter of control that a spiritual leader might want over people's lives and you're stepping out of line and fall under church discipline, not when you sin, but when you question my autocracy. That, that's one way that it can go. Or it can go the other way where, where everybody, 100 people in a 100-person church, each have their own mission, their own desires. What that necessarily means is, though we all agree and we're all of one mind doctrinally, yet we are against each other, at each, other's, at each other's throats, because your win is my loss. I'm trying to sway the church this way. You're trying to sway the church that way. And we are, therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, in strife and war and fights among us. So what we need for true, godly peace is for us all to believe those, those central and other doctrines in the Scripture together, that we would believe in the one and true Jesus Christ, the, the one true gospel of salvation, the one true way into that gospel through faith alone, the same mindset about how church should run and be led, the same principles of marriage and the sanctity therein and the sanctity of life and the role of genders in marriage, church, and society. We, we want to be those that are robustly, not minimalistically, Theological. That, that's what Hope Church believes in, is us all learning together a robust, full-orbed, scriptural truth doctrine. Right? We're, we're not looking for theology light here. We're not looking for Bible zero or diet Bible. We want heavy, good truth. Amen? Amen. All right, that'll do. That'll do. But also, of course, while we want to be arranged around those truths, we also must be on mission together. 
That is that we start checking ourselves and, and looking year at a time backwards or, or maybe a few months before we start asking ourselves, are we seeing a whole bunch of people united around truth that are just serving ourselves well like a great hippie community? Self-sustaining, don't need other Christians coming in. We're teaching ourselves, we're loving ourselves, we're looking after ourselves, we're giving money to ourselves, we're spending time with ourselves, we're speaking to ourselves, and yet the lost, our enemies are not being loved and reached and hearing the proclamation of the gospel. We, we would sacrifice to make ourselves more comfortable, but not in order to extend the reaches of the glory and the kingdom of Christ. We need both of these things together, and when you have unity of mind, and a unity of mission so that like in a scrum in rugby, don't know if any of you play Union or at least know of that glorious archaic game. We'll play it in heaven. You'll, you'll get your fair share. But, but a scrum, in case we've got any league fans, a scrum is not sort of that weird cuddle that they do and they touch each other's legs and whatever. A scrum is where you get head in behind each other's hips, wrangle together and march a ton against ton of human muscle flesh, making it sound a little gross, aren't I? I'm trying to, trying to make it sound manly and to say male hug sweat fest. But anyway, a ton of meat. Uh, I'm, I'm really not making this any better. Uh, 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 that manly sort of drive together where we're unified in strength and marching forwards is what keeps true biblical peace. The, G, the Lord Jesus is our king. He unifies us and leads us forward on mission. So all of that to say and to give context for this worldly demonic wisdom. Look, look at verse uh, 14 through, seven, through 16 again, and you start seeing that these elements are not in place when worldly wisdom manifests. It is not able to give ultimate sovereignty to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not able to prioritize unity around truth and being corrected, which always assumes that you're able to be corrected and that you're okay with that. You treasure truth above reputation and pride. And of course, that we are seeking against our own preference, against our own reputation even, against our own preferences always is the glory of Christ and the expansion of his kingdom. So I'll read again verse 15 and 16, and then we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now go with me to Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> I even didn't use one of my ribbons so that I can spend time getting there to give you a, little, a couple of moments as well. In Philippians chapter 2, we have <coughs> Paul, on the basis of what Christ has done, compelling and commanding the Christians to find themselves in this very same dynamic, in unity of mind, which requires humility, and unity of mission, which requires that godly ambition. Look at what he says, verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, and of course there is, but if there's any, if there's any comfort from love, and of course there is, but if there is any, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do you see the, the, the unity there? Think like each other. 
think about the same things as each other, understand the same doctrine, prioritize those same central truths of the gospel, be of one mind and same love in full accord and of one mind. Then in verse three, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others have this mind among yourselves. You see that he's, he's saying to us that if we are like Christ, and, and you'll know that from there he then goes to the example of Christ who had all glory, had no, no need for his own selfish ambition to come to earth, live as poor as a slave, die on the cross half naked, whipped, bruised and battered, and then uh, be humiliated by all of his enemies, mocked and scourged, spat upon, and then uh, uh, to raise again for us. No, that was just that. It was for us. He did not do that out of a, a simple pleasure. He did not get up one Sunday morning, if you allow the anachronisms, and say, Holy Spirit, Father, uh, I, I know what we've decreed of eternity past to do to bring ourselves ultimate glory, but it's just not my ultimate preference at the moment. What I would prefer, at least my, my pleasures tell me, the thing to do right now is just keep on basking in the glory of the angels. Just keep on enjoying this bliss, this blissful, peaceful existence in heaven. He didn't do that, and yet how many of us do? Get up on a Sunday morning. Is it raining? No church for me today. I know I'd said I'd meet my maid and, and help them out or help them move or bless their family while they're in hospital, anything like that, but I'm, I'm quite busy. I'm, I'm a little tired. I would prefer to sit here and play my games, read my book, uh, uh, do whatever for my own pleasure. How often we simply allow as the captain of the, the life that we're in, the captain at the driver's seat is the Pleasure is the preferences, is the selfish desires, the selfish ambition. We see our own needs as more important than others, and we will judge others if they do not think the same way. It must be quite sinful, pretty worldly, definitely selfish, because my needs, which are the highest in the room, were not seen by you to be the most important. Rather, he says, basically compete with your ambition to consider each other as more important than yourselves. He says, do nothing out of selfish, uh, selfish ambition and conceit. This puffed up pride that seeks self to be glorified above all else. And so we can go back to, back to James chapter 3 as we see how James, what James calls this. So this is the, what we've just seen is the fruit of it, the, the kind of wisdom that it is, what it smells like, the, the flower that grows off of worldly wisdom is disgusting, selfish ambition. How can I use these people? How can I use this situation? How can I use my gifts, even their gifts, their money and my money to prop myself up the best that I can? This, of course, smacks more of that Greek of the ancient world, the Greek philosophical wisdom of the Stoics and the Epicureans and the philosophers of the day more than it does of Old Testament biblical wisdom. The Greek wisdom was, was characterized by a few things. First of all, it was, it was intellect. Like if you're not a high IQ person, a member of the upper class in terms of faculty, you just can't be wise. That, that's out of the reach of you. You can't be a philosopher or one of the philosopher's students because you're not intellectually impressive. Secondly, they prided themselves on that secret knowledge which came through through sometimes meditation or strange things that you couldn't understand from like a book or other people, but that, but that the gods had revealed to you by their own judgment. And thirdly, it was that it was completely amoral, doesn't matter what you do in your life, or immoral. 
fact, the more, the more in touch you are with the intellect, with the wisdom of the gods, then the, the less it will matter what you do with your body. And of course, this is all entirely against the wisdom of God. This is entirely against the wisdom from Scripture, which does not count your intellect as anything that matters for wisdom. And maybe for you, you're not going to amen it loudly, but that's good news for you. Some of us, we're just not going to get the A pluses and the most d difficult of degrees, and we're not going to ever, ever be voted to be the highest IQ in the room, and yet you, for you, godly wisdom is perfectly within your grasp. Because it is a matter not of stoking self up and, 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 and serving your own pride, but it is a matter of humility, taking not secret knowledge from the gods, not, not seeking out strange and wonderful things, but simply opening up the word of God, which is in your very mouth, which is given to you as a Christian by the Holy Spirit. It is understandable. You can read it, be taught it, and grow in it. And of course, it, it absolutely matters, unlike the Greek wisdom, it absolutely matters how you then live. Some of us, let's be very honest, some of us have a wisdom that is more like a, like we've picked up a book that are, uh, maybe we're not Greek philosophers anymore, we're not in that culture, but we've, we've picked up a book maybe like How to Win Friends and Influence People. You've, you've picked up something from the self-help bookshop at, uh, 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 down at the, at the mall and you are reading that and you're really uh, uh, applying to your life principles of, of what wisdom is, is how to manipulate others, how to get what you want out of life. How to, how to be cunning with your words and twist other people into your own desire. This is what Paul is calling selfish ambition. It is, a, it is a dangerous thing to have selfish ambition in the household of God. There will only be one Lord. There will only be one person who receives glory. And there will only be one savior of God's people. So whenever people try and get glory for being those things, God is quick and God is swift in the church that he loves to cut them down and leave them embarrassed. It's been said, we either have to humble ourselves or God delights in doing the humiliating. Be humbled or be humiliated. This is what wisdom, bring, uh, worldly wisdom brings about in us. But look at verse 17. He's now going to speak of the wisdom that comes from above. <clears throat> the wisdom from above is first, verse 17 says. It is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. How verse 17 is a tremendous contrast to the prior things that, that he said, worldly wisdom, human wisdom, wisdom that is demonic, unspiritual, and earthly, where, where he sort of sums up for the, the, the unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Worldly wisdom is like the world, it is, like, it is from the flesh, and it is from the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And yet this true wisdom that comes from above is godly coming down through his revelation. Let's, let's look at some of the words that he says here in verse 17. It is pure. Where he has warned previously against selfish ambition, where you might be doing the same things as somebody else is doing, but you're doing them with a hidden secret agenda of pride, of ambition, of getting to the top of the ladder quickly in the household of God, getting to the spot of influence. You might do nice things for people. You might say encouraging words. You might share Bible verses. You might be a very outwardly holy person. And yet, with worldly wisdom, that is all seeking what you can gain from other people rather than being pure. 
Pure means you look underneath the motivation of somebody and it's just more pure love. And they're doing something loving and sacrificial for you and you open up the hood again and all you find is love. And you, and you start digging around and you can ask people around them, why are they doing this? What are they trying to get out of this? And all they can say is that they ask nothing in return. They consider our needs as higher than their own. They are a pure person. Are we like that? Do you have a wisdom that, that acknowledges that God will give fruit and God will give reward and God will give blessing? You do not need to try and secure that for yourself. Wisdom that is from above is pure. It is also peaceable. We understand then, don't we, if, 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 if wisdom is not seeking to, to establish myself as Lord, as, as glorious one, as one who receives the praise, etc., etc. And, and if my mission in life is not to serve self out of selfish ambition, but is to serve Christ uh, along with the people of God, then I'm going to be a peacemaker. As Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the true children of God. When you know that the mission of Christ matters, you, you want to, like Paul, stamp out the, the petty disagreements and the, and the silly, ambitious arguments that come about when people are focused on self. So not only does the wise person keep their own life in check and control to be peaceable, not starting fights, not holding grudges, forgiving quickly because the household of God is on a bigger mission than keeping you happy, but also you will help bring other people other warring factions, other people in arguments together for wisdom that is from above is peaceable. It is gentle. The wisdom from God is gentle. The wisdom in humans that is from above is gentle because, first of all, you're able to bear with strugglers. Because we are not filled with selfish ambition, we don't get annoyed when people who need extra care, extra love, extra help come along. We are gentle with them because, because the people of God, the, the unsaved, the, the people of God, the elect and, and the saved alike, they, they are the mission. Bringing glory to Christ through growing individuals into Christ's likeness is the mission. I don't have, a, I don't have every Christian should think. I don't have a mission on earth that doesn't involve sanctifying the church of God and saving the souls on earth. It'll look different for every one of us. And yet, a needy Christian that needs help, prayer, advice, constant attention is able to be borne gently with by he who is wise. They know because the wisdom of God is always powerful, because they, they just bend their knee to the word of God and understand God's principles and how this world works, they don't need to be forceful angry, harsh with people because they know that God will do his work in his own time. They are able to be gentle. The wisdom that comes from above is also open to reason. I think we see a, see a thing that was coming through the Proverbs before in this phrase, open to reason. Of course, it means that you know somebody who is just blinded by ambition. I'm sure you've met somebody. Maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in the history of your church experience. But somebody who is just so blinded by ambition and the need to rule or the need to have power or the need to have influence that they do not listen to wisdom. Not, not even the basic reason of, of, of even pragmatic things, let alone coming out of the word of God. So just slow down. You're, you're furious. You're acting out of anger. You're insulting people. This will not produce what you want and they're blinded like a toddler seeking what will destroy them, like a bull that is enraged and charging. They are not open to reason. They're a, they're a beast, more animal than human at this point is what the wisdom of the world does. And yet the wisdom of God makes us open to reason because 
We are revelation-based people. Revelation, the, the word of God revealed in Scripture, because we are based on that in everything we think, and especially our wisdom and decisions and leadership and whatever else might cause ambition, if we're open, if we're open to God, if we're open to the word of God, then we will be open to reason that comes out of the word of God. Such is wisdom that comes from above. It is also merciful. It's, it's a full of mercy and good fruits. This is the idea that it is not selfish. It's not envious. Because again, the mission is not me. The mission is not my kingdom. The mission is not my empire. It's the kingdom of Christ. Therefore, it is able to be merciful and full of good fruits as it forgives other people who have offended it and as it seeks to give good things towards others. It is impartial and it is secure. This sort of comes back to that first one of purity. It is impartial and it is sincere. That is that to all people, not just to some, and in its genuineness, not simply in speech or what it says of itself, all of the person's life is bent to all of the mission of Christ. They are genuine and sincere. What a description of life. What an amazing thing. If people can say of you, or maybe you know someone in life that is rich with godly wisdom and you can say this of them. They are pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason. They're full of mercy and good fruits. They're impartial and they're sincere. The, that kind of life is the kind of life that you young people need to strive to have yourself. Every bit of worldly wisdom will push you against that as lame, old-fashioned, unproductive, not getting you what you desire, but godly wisdom. Where the Spirit finds His home in hearts of men and women, they will find themselves living out this beautiful, glorious, life-giving, blessing, harvest of righteousness in their lives as they pursue wisdom. And so verse 18 closes out with him saying just exactly what we have said. Think of a life that is not just here and there touched with wisdom, not just here and there having a golden moment, a great idea or a beautiful piece of advice, but a life in every part and facet of it infused with the wisdom of God. They Receive verse 18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, we see this principle that we get from Scripture, you reap what you sow. We reap what we sow. If our life is committed to godly wisdom, we are pursuing that peace which is based on unity of mind and unity of mission. Where you do that, you are sowing constantly for the good of others, for the glory of Christ, Wisdom and peace, rather. Peace, continual peace is going around. And, and then you come and you gather up that, that harvest. You come and fill your sheaves with, those, with that harvest in peace. Whereas those, and if you've lived a life of worldly wisdom, you know this by experience. Maybe you've been around or been influenced by people who are worldly wise, who are satanic and demonic and worldly. You've, you've seen this in their lives. They never have that moment of peace, of the, the green pasture, of simply living under the peaceable blessing of God. But every moment, even as they go to reap their, their, their food, even as they, they have the, where they try and gather what they've produced, maybe their manipulation has brought about some fruit, but every moment of gathering it is done behind a shield. They're always under enemy fire. They're always watching for landmines. They can trust nobody and be trusted by nobody. What a desperately miserable way to live. But James holds out a better way for us. For all those who have been united to Jesus Christ by faith, faith 
alone that believes that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, that he rose for my justification, that in him and him alone is my salvation, nothing good that I have done, nothing righteous that I have worked, but only in his good work alone. That is the gospel message. And everyone united to Christ by faith will produce a wisdom in their life, a, a fruitfulness of wisdom that is peaceable and righteous and pure. We want also, as, as our grand motivation, this to be God-like. God is the one who, who makes peace with his enemies. Is he not? A, have we not every Christian, are, were we not at one point enemies of God? And yet God in his grace made us his friends, his children, the members of his kingdom. And so like him, we strive to make peace with others, make enemies into friends of God through our mission and our life that is sacrificed on the altar of God, always seeking to bring him glory. So I compel you, if you're not a Christian, believe that good news. Not that you need to strive to be wise enough, but to, for all of your worldliness, for all of your demonic manipulation and selfish ambition, Jesus was crucified so you can be forgiven. Become a Christian and be saved this very night. Let's pray. Father God, we read ourselves into Scripture. How often it can be dangerous to do that, to put ourselves into the, the limelight and the spotlight of Scripture, and yet this is a perfect time to do exactly that. We see that we ourselves are constantly selfish in our ambition, desiring and striving after our, our own influence, our own glory, our own fame. Father God, I pray that you would give to us an awareness, an open-eyedness to see how selfish we often are, for those of us who, who have lapsed from praying, who are not reading the word regularly, Lord, take us back to that practice because it is it's because we've fallen out of that that we are blind to our own selfish ambition and folly. Father God, we pray that, that uh, the words of James would not be true of us, that we would allow worldly wisdom to grow and therefore lead us, not just individually, not just in our own families, which is, of course, doubtless, but of course, God, in the household and family of God, the church. Keep us away, Lord God, from allowing envy and, and worldly wisdom and selfish ambition to produce evil, vile practices. Father God, would you keep us from sin as Jesus taught us to pray. Keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil God. We desire, if every Christian in the room is honest to the deepest goal of our heart, it is to glorify Jesus, to live righteously, and to see others saved to live righteously and give glory to Jesus. That is what we desire. Make us a church on fire for that, Lord God. And for any this evening who sit here, with unrighteous hearts, with uncleansed consciences, with guilt against the law of God, and yet, who, and so who deserve the condemnation of the law and your wrath for eternity, Lord God, would you save them tonight? Would you give them faith that leaves their own works alone, that, that, that abandons their own self and their selfish ambitions and clings to Jesus, who alone is able to save? Father God, glorify your Son, Jesus Christ, in our midst, and it is in his name that we pray. And everybody said... Amen.